this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Anybody get junk mail? Like... The majority of the mail we get to the church is junk mail, like big piles of things that the majority of it goes in the trash. Is that everybody else or is that just us? I don't know if like we're on some weird mailing list. But like junk mail has shifted in the last number of years to where now it's like advertising on Facebook or like social media or the internet. You do like a Google search. And all of a sudden, things that you weren't even talking about, maybe you were just thinking about buying, uh, show up, and you're wondering who's listening to you, Alexa, NSA, Siri, all of them. Uh, and it's, it's, it's bizarre, right? How many of you guys have had that happen, right? I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist in the least bit, but they know what you want, and they know what you're talking about, they know what you're thinking, and it just shows up. And so uh, when I was... Uh, these days, it's mainly Jeep parts that show up um, on the side, but Facebook used to do this thing, and I, I think it, it was a little less sophisticated back in the day. I think it went off of whatever your um, like relationship status was, uh, and that like your target demographic, if you like were a certain age, a certain gender, and your relationship status, it would kind of throw ads at you that way. I think it's a lot more sophisticated now, but... I remember being a single guy in his 20s, long before I met Kelly, and I would get nothing but dating personal ads on the side for, like, uh, farmersonly.com and, like, Christian Mingle and these different, like, eHarmony and whatnot. But my favorite one was MuslimWifeFinder.com. <laughs> that, was, that was literally, I took, a, I took a picture of it when it popped up on the side, um, and it was like, find your perfect bride today. I mean, it was just bizarre. And I know that Pastor Dwight really wanted me to get married uh, when I was working under him. I don't think he wanted me married that bad, though. <laughs> Talk about taking missionary dating to, like, a whole new level, right? <laughs> so it's a little intense. But uh, then I met Kelly, and uh, my whole life changed, and it was great. And uh, everybody rejoiced with me, and we started dating. And then immediately, like, the, the second that I changed my Facebook profile from uh, single to in a relationship, all my advertisements changed. It was crazy how that happened. Um, all of a sudden, there were engagement rings uh, over on the side. And before I met Kelly, I would get just the bonkers ones. You know, I literally had one that was, are you called to be a priest? And it was like, be a hero, be a priest, take this quiz today. And I found out that I was called to celibacy, and for the low price of like $9.99 a month, I could join an online course to become a monk. <laughs> Serious. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, these targeted ads, right? I get these ones now, uh, and then, it, you know, I got engagement ring ones, and then uh, as soon as we got engaged, it turned into like wedding planning, and then as soon as we got married, it all turned into baby stuff. Seriously, it was just like, this is the progression. Uh, Kelsey, if you listen to this later, this is what's in store for you in your advertising on Facebook. <laughs> Guarantee, if you were to log into Kelsey's profile right now, the next thing that's going to pop up is like wedding flower planning thing on her side. It, it's just how it works. 
And so, like I said, now mainly mine is like Jeep parts and accessories uh, that uh, different websites want to sell me or ministry-related things for different seminars and courses and uh, go to this Bible college and get your master's. It's like, I, anyway, (laughs) Uh, all of these different things. But there's one that continually pops up and it irks me and it gets under my skin. And it's this, uh, it's this advertisement of struggling in church growth, how to break the 500-member barrier today. And it, it, it pops up on the side all the time. And, uh, you know, I've taken courses. I've taken classes. I've sat in seminars. I've gone to the conferences. And friends, can I tell you, I know how we could fill this place out. I know that we could get people to show up. I know that we could, uh, you know, we, we, could, we could implement the right strategies and we could put in the right programs and we could have the right gifts and we could spend the right amount of money in order to fill this building up. But can I tell you, one of the things that I learned while I was in ministry school was the way that you get people in the door is the way that you have to keep them there. And, and, and as much, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with strategy, as long as it's initiated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with programs or anything in that, in that realm of, of administration. Don't hear me, hear me. I'm not just coming against all of that and saying every church that is full is wrong and they're not listening to the Holy Spirit or anything like that. But I know as a core conviction that we cannot try to accomplish in the flesh what God has to initiate in the Spirit. And as much as I would love to see this place hopping and popping and everybody and their mom here in our church and celebrating and get some kind of validation, pat on the back, that, whoa, you've got a full church, Pastor Nate, Um, I'm not naive enough to realize that's not the definition of success. I don't know how I said that, but you guys get what I'm saying. (laughs) Right? And so I... I kind of wanted to talk about my church growth strategy today, if that's okay. Um, I'm not going to write any books on it. I don't have a course that I can kind of market and sell to pastors for $20 a month or anything like that. Um, It's actually pretty simple. Um, I think Psalms 27, one, gives us a pretty good instruction. We talked about it when we were talking about why we gather. We talked about the church and how God will build his church, but... The psalmist accounts here that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And uh, you might consider me stubborn or ignorant for believing this. And you'll be just, Pastor Nate, you're just, you're kind of like sitting back and riding a wave or something like that. The reality is I know that if we try to make something happen, if we try to fill this place out, if we try to do it, it's going to be in vain unless the Lord is 100% initiating behind it and sustaining it. Does that make sense? How many ministries, I, I can count back at all the, the crazy ministries that I was a part of as a teenager and saw, uh, saw like these big kind of surges of people come through and leave. And a lot of them are empty today. And the reality of it is, is they had cool lights and fun stuff, but really no substance to it. And so I'm not saying that administration or strategy is evil. It's necessary. They're tools. They're gifts of God. Um, but we cannot, we cannot attempt to build God's church solely on human-based strategy. 
We understand that, right? Um, if our programs are amazing and we have the best musicians and the most gifted speakers, what happens when those musicians are no longer here? What happens when uh, that gifted speaker uh, is called somewhere else? What happens when we don't have the, the amazing family programs that the church down the street has? And, and, and all of these different things, what, what happens? People tend to migrate. They, they church hop. They go from one place to another. But there is one thing that I can attest to that continues to bring people back, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is present and drawing men unto Jesus, that is something that is irresistible and can't be replicated, and it cannot be replaced by strategy or human endeavor. Amen? And that is, that's why one of the greatest compliments I can ever receive as a pastor from, from whether it be a visitor or be one of you guys in the congregation is to say, you know, I felt the Holy Spirit when I walked in the room today. I felt the presence of God when we came together today. And, and as much as I love, is like, hey, Pastor Nate, that was a great message. Or, you know, worship was really good. All of that, all of that is just supplemental to the fact that Jesus has to be in the room. Amen? We know this. It's, it's basic. It's simple. But it's something that I can't move past. And I believe that we can't graduate from. Um. Because we really need the Holy Spirit present if we want to see the church effectively grow or be effective in anything, not just grow. Um, we need to know the Holy Spirit is present and moving. And so I'm really not interested in kind of getting people um, committed to like a social club or an organization. How many of you guys know people in Pagosa struggle with commitment? And consistency, I, it's 100% true. I, it's, it's just kind of the mentality in this town that I have not experienced elsewhere. I realize I'm coming on spending the majority of my life in Pagosa now, which is great. Um, but the reality is elsewhere, I have not experienced the same issue of consistency and commitment that I have here. It's themes that I continually come back and preach on. And I'm thankful for the group that we have here, we may be small, but you guys are consistent. You guys are committed, and I'm encouraged by that, that you're continually saying yes to the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it would be easier to kind of throw on the towel and do church online or something along those lines. You guys have been faithful, and I'm so encouraged by that. Um, but really, I'm not, I'm not really trying to get people just committed or encouraged or consistent in showing up to a social club or a good church in, in the sense, um, I, really, I really would love for there to be a greater commitment amongst the body of Christ to fellowship with one another in the Holy Spirit. Because I know if the Holy Spirit's present, he will do the heavy lifting. That's what John 16, 8 tells us. If you read John 16, uh, actually just the whole gospel of John, but particularly like 14 through 17 is really heavy hitting for me. We see a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, but we're promised that the Holy Spirit would do the heavy lifting for us. The Holy Spirit, if he is present, it says that he will convict the world of sin, 
of righteousness and judgment. And I could preach a whole entire series just on this passage, just on this verse here of Jesus on the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And uh, how many of you guys know it's not the church's responsibility to convict? It's not my responsibility to convict you of your sin. Just like uh, today when I recorded a video and sent it to Jess and was like disapproving. He's like, where are you? Why aren't you at church? It's not my responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit. She didn't show up to that video. That was a joke because she asked us to do that last week. Just saying. Um, <laughs> so with all that being said, uh, I have one simple strategy for church growth in the year 2022. In 2023, 2024, 2025, and here on out until Jesus comes back. And that is to be people filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized by fire. We need a church that is full of his spirit, baptized by fire, and reflecting him well. I, I think of the Galatians that attempted to start in the spirit and then tried to finish out with works of the flesh. right? And Paul would call them a fool. The language there is similar. Uh, we understand that the church was birthed in the fires of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Right? We, we see that the, the coming of the Holy Spirit was what ignited and launched the church into its mission in seeing the gospel propelled around the world and how many churches today are so content with just existing as an establishment, existing as a social club, existing as an organization that kind of provides some self-help and some counseling here and some good babysitting downstairs, but the power and the presence of God is absent. Now, I'm not here talking about denominations. I'm not here talking about any particular church in town or anything like that trying to elevate ours above above the rest what I am saying is I want to be a people I want to be a family and a community of God marked and ignited by his presence that what we do here actually makes a difference in the light of eternity because if we're comfortable just coming to church singing some songs and hearing me say some stuff and then leaving we're missing the mark of what Christian community ought to look like we need to be a people that are baptized by fire. We need to be a people that are, are, are full of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the most impressive tools in the devil's strategy against mankind is the lie of success. The illusion of success. I know of many churches of many ministries that have gigantic buildings, have all the funding, that have everything that you would kind of check off on a list of people with families and people coming through, and they're kind of pushing them through this machine of, of let's diagnose your life's problems, let's give you some self-motivation and try to make you a better person without the substance of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people might say, you know what, that is a church that is the hand of God is on, and that is a mark and a measure of success. But the reality, friends, is if we do not have the Holy Spirit in our midst, if, and I, I believe this, I for one am one to, to say if the, the person of the Holy Spirit is present, then his gifts ought to be present as well. Amen. It's not enough to claim Pentecostal, uh, doctrine. It's not enough to claim to be people of the Spirit just in theory, 
but the fruit of the Spirit needs to be manifest in the life as well. And I mean that in all regards. I'm not talking just about speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about just, you know, the gift of healing or even of prophecy. I'm talking about the entirety of the work of the Holy Spirit ought to be evident in the life of the church. And friends, it's not. It's, it's frankly not in the majority of our churches today. And that grieves me, and I believe it grieves the heart of God. But I was saying that I believe one of the greatest tools in the enemy's arsenal is this illusion of success. And it spurs on ministries to play the comparative game of how many people do I have in my flock? How, how big is our church? How great is our youth ministry? How much money do we have in the reserves? How many, how many dollars did we give to missions this year? We get little trophies and we put it on our wall. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I say all that. Because what I so desire for our church what I desire for this community and the church of Pagosa Springs. Some of my greatest friends are ministers in other churches here in this town. I'm not, don't take this as kind of any kind of slight towards them or, or anything like that. I, I realize how easy that could be misconstrued. I so desire for us to be a church that is ignited and sustained by the person of the Holy Spirit. Because that's exactly what we saw on the day of Pentecost. We saw the church birthed in the fires of the coming of the Holy Spirit, in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw it sustained continually throughout the rest of this book through his working. And I don't want to neglect the person of the Holy Spirit as we try to do ministry and the danger of it just being in our own effort with good ideas. Does that make sense? So I've been reading the book of Acts lately, and I've been kind of stuck here. And so just be prepared. Our, our time together on Sunday mornings might be heavily drawn from the book of Acts for the next number of weeks. Um, I apologize for that. I don't know why. Uh, I don't actually apologize. Uh, I'm, I'm really not sorry. But if you guys would read, uh, we're going to just read Acts 2. Uh, 40 through 47 real quick. And I'm not going to preach the entire chunk of this passage. So if, if you're familiar, Acts chapter 2 begins, well, well, begins with the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had given his disciples instructions to wait for him. Uh, to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that would uh, endue them with power to be his witnesses, right? And so we see 120 of his disciples gathered in the upper room. How many of you guys have a house with a room upstairs that could hold 120 people? Probably not. Uh, the, the likely historical aspect of this was that it was in one of the upper rooms of the temple grounds uh, that would be used to gather people. And that's why when uh, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire divided upon them, and then they began to speak in other language languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, okay? And so they started uh, telling the wonderful deeds of God, and then people from all over the known world at the time that had gathered in Jerusalem to worship began to hear these wonderful deeds of God in their own language. 
It was a miraculous sign. It was a, it was a powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, just baptism by fire, what we talk about here. And then Peter gets up and he preaches this message. And he takes it from Joel chapter 2 and the promise of the Holy Spirit coming and being poured out upon all flesh. And then he goes into preaching on Jesus and how Jesus was crucified and, uh, it, and how he was the promised Messiah. And that's how we get to verse 40. I'm trying to give you the very condensed version of what's transpired and we could preach on that for a really long time. But here in uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 40 it says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly, hear this, they they wasn't reluctant, they weren't cursed into it, they gladly received his word, and they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. We went from 120 people praying in the upper room, adding 3,000, that's 25 times, the amount of people, I'm not good with numbers or statistics or anything like that, but however, like whatever kind of percentage increase that is, is insane, and it blows any of your church growth, growth strategies out of the water, was one powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit added 3,000 people that gladly received the message of the gospel that day, and they were probably foreigners and went back to their homes and continued to spread the message of the gospel. This is crazy. This is awesome. This is cool. I want some of that church growth strategy. Woo! (laughs) 3,000 in a day. Okay, so that's really cool. That's really powerful. This is really great. We're going to talk about all this in a second when I get to my notes. I'm just supposed to be reading the passage of Scripture. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Hear hear this. I'm not even going to preach on this. I'm not even going to give this verse. They said continuing daily with one accord. God did such a mighty work here. At the beginning, uh, that it wasn't that they said, hey, come back next week. Could you imagine if Peter preached this message, all of these people got baptized. He's like, hey, yeah, same time, same place next week. No, they, they, they were in this daily. That's how significant this movement was. That's how significant what God did was here at the establishment of his church. So don't complain to me that we do too many things too many nights a week and that you can't fit it into your schedule. You laugh, I'm serious. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Guys, my my prayer for this year, and this is what I'm supposed to end with, what I'm going to say now, I got to this place because I I was reading the book of Acts, and I stumbled, uh, I didn't stumble across, I just got hung up on verse 47 there where the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And I can look back on the last year, and I I can get excited about some of the salvations that I experienced and a lot of the people that I saw give their lives to the Lord. But I desire for something so much more. Because I think Christianity can, 
get confused. I think, uh, especially within our church fellowship and the Pentecostal kind of persuasion, we can get hung up on the day of Pentecost. We can get hung up on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can get hung up on the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and some kind, somehow treat it as the pinnacle mark of like Christian success. We can treat it as kind of like we got our trophy. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can speak in tongues. Woo, woo, woo. And I know that we really don't have that mentality, but sometimes it's how it's treated. When the reality is the day of Pentecost was the launching point for the church. The day of Pentecost and the, and the coming of the Holy Spirit was literally the launch pad where the church was ignited into its mission, something greater than just speaking in tongues. How weird would it be? It would have been really cool if they would have just spoken other tongues, right? And they all heard messages in their own language. And maybe even if 3,000 people got saved, right? That, that would still be cool. But it didn't stop there, friends. That was the beginning place. In the same way, I believe the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is not some kind of pinnacle mark that we're like, woo, I'm validated in my Christianity now. But it's supposed to serve as practical empowerment for you to be a witness, to see things change. I'm far more intrigued by some of these other verses here that we're going to talk about in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself and I preach it out of order. Than just the, the initial moment of the physical evidence here. That's great. And I'm, I'm Pentecostal through and through. And I, I love the gifts of the Spirit. And we, we celebrate those. We encourage those. We encourage actively being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it serves a purpose, Right? And if we never fulfill the purpose, how can we continue to ask God to fill us if we're never doing something with what he initially did in the first place? I know so many people that run from service to service, from thing to thing, seeking a sensation and, and you know, wanting an infilling and wanting a special impartation or a special touch into your charismatic lingo here. But the reality of it is, why should God continue to pour out? Why should God continue to be gracious if you're never going to follow through with the last thing that he instructed you to do? Acts 2.40. And with many other words, he testified, this is Peter, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. There was testimony and exhortation that marked the foundation of the early church. The testimony of Jesus was pivotal to people coming to the knowledge of salvation. And friends, it has to be evident in our church today. If people do not know, if people know that we're more about self-help than we are about Jesus, we're doing something wrong. It has to be the testimony of Jesus that is at the forefront and at the center of everything that we do. What did Peter do? He testified of who Jesus was. And we saw 3,000 people get saved. The entire first sermon of the church was centered around the testimony of Jesus. And I believe we do a disservice to the gospel if we ever try to graduate from that. We ever try to get kind of off on a... If we ever migrate too far from the message of the cross and of Jesus, if he's not center at everything that we're doing, 
we're, we're missing it, friends. But there was testimony, there was exhortation, there was a call to action that was backed by urgency. To, to exhort someone is to urgently plead with them. And so there was a call to action here. It wasn't just that they preached the gospel. It wasn't just that they were told about Jesus, but they were given an opportunity to respond to Jesus. We can't merely present Jesus as a good idea. We must, we must remember what is at stake, that it is life and death. It doesn't do me any good to just tell you that you're a sinner and you're going to hell without actually telling you about Jesus and how to not be a sinner anymore. Right? There's this testimony. There's this exhortation. There's a call to repentance. There's a call to action that associates the foundation of a healthy church being established here in the book of Acts. And we go on and we read in verse 42. And this, this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. I'm going to do my best to, to kind of be concise with this. But it says, and they continued steadfastly. Everybody say steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The mighty rushing wind would have been really cool to hear, don't you think? The tongues of fire coming down upon those 120 in the upper room. I want to see a YouTube video of that. That would have gone viral today, wouldn't it? Hearing people speak in tongues, thinking that they're drunk. That would have been really cool. Cooler than that, I think, would be seeing 3,000 people being baptized. That would be really neat. That would be so cool to see 3,000 people all in the same day give their life to the Lord. That's like a city here, right? I don't know. I mean, that, could you imagine 3,000 people in Pagosa giving their life to them the same day? Yes, I can. Jesus let it happen. That'd be really cool. It'd be like the 4th of July down at the river. We'd have to baptize them all just, don't come. I think more impressive than all that God did on the day of Pentecost, hear me out here, was what happened afterward. I've always defined the baptism of the Holy Spirit as supernatural empowerment for kingdom service. Because what we see happen here in this verse is what all of Israel could not do uh, throughout the entirety of their existence. Where they tried to please God, but they were on this continual roller coaster, right? They had their ups and their downs. And they would do good for a little bit, and then they would not do good for a lot of it. And then they'd do good for a little bit, and they'd do, do some really terrible things. And there was no consistency in serving the Lord in the Old Testament. But we see with the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was empowerment to live holy. There was empowerment to live different. There was empowerment to be consistent. And we see here, it says they continued steadfastly. What did they continue in? This is cool. To me, it is the... All of that was awesome. All that God did. The signs, the wonders were great. But the proof of what he did there was really reflected in the fact that they were consistent afterwards. It says that they continued steadfastly. (laughs) 
I don't know how many friends I have, numerous ones. And any of you that have been serving the Lord for any number of time can probably think of friends that you've had that maybe you were chasing after Jesus with that no longer are. It's one of the saddest things that I can imagine and think about. I had friends that I went to Bible school with. Friends that I, I shared a room and a house with that we, we saw the exact same things. We were in the same messages. We were in the same church services. We saw the same people healed. We saw the same people set free and delivered. I'm telling you, friends, when I was in ministry school and we were traveling, we saw stuff. <laughs> we experienced the presence of God, His heavy and His mighty hand. We experienced genuine moving of the Holy Spirit that I, I would I with 100% certainty know that we could not deny. And I have friends to this day that walked through those same experiences, saw those same things, some of them even being healed themselves of sickness and disease that are not following Jesus today, that are not serving Jesus today. They failed to continue in what God had begun. And I think one of the greatest travesties that exist is when we fail to continue in what God has started. You see, I think there was this misconception that we would define spiritual health or spiritual maturity on all these awesome experience that we, experiences that we might have. Right? Oh, I prayed for the sick and I raised the dead. Or I preached the gospel and 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. Or I did this missions trip. Or I gave this much to missions. And we, we try to kind of measure spiritual maturity about, and we look at these kind of peak moments in the life of the believer and say, oh, how many of these awesome things have they done? They must be spiritually mature. And how many men of God have we seen fall on national television, throughout uh, on these national platforms that did a lot for the kingdom of God? You look at Ravi Zacharias, who, who was a guy that I loved. I loved his work. I loved his thought process. I loved his apologetics. And he, he messed up. And that's saying things very lightly. Right? We, we look at these kind of things and we're like, if a guy like him can't make it, how can I? And it's because we misjudge uh, the definition of what spiritual maturity actually is. And I've said this again and again and again. And I probably say it at least twice a sermon. I feel like at this point. But spiritual maturity isn't defined on the, the, the moments of success, these pinnacle things of Christendom that we think of, of where you're a super saint and you did really good one day and you did all these spiritual feats. But spiritual maturity is defined in practicing the elementary disciplines of faith over and over again consistently. We're afraid of repetition. We're afraid of consistency. The church is always looking for, oh, pastor, give me a fresh word. Give me a new revelation. Give me this nugget here. And the reality of it is, we have something very simple. <laughs> that if we're ever wanting to be spiritually mature, there are simple disciplines that God has established. We want it to be harder than it is. We really do. <laughs> we want it, I, I think just, I don't know if it's like an American thing or just a human thing, where we want to overcomplicate things because then it feels like we have some validation when we get it accomplished. Does anybody ever, has anybody ever experienced that? 
I'm not going to go off on that tangent right now. I should get back to my notes. But I am definitely that kind of person. If I do something and it feels too easy, then I'm like, oh, I must have done it wrong, right? Got to figure out the hard way to do it. <laughs> I wrote this, and maybe I said all these words and they didn't make sense, so I'm going to say it again. Consistency in the elementary. Spiritual maturity is achieved by the consistent application of simple disciplines. That was something that the church understood, and they steadfastly devoted themselves to it. What did they devote themselves to? What did they continue steadfastly in? The first one was the apostles' doctrine. Now, they did not have the New Testament when the New Testament church was active. Did you guys understand that? They had the teachings of the apostles. <laughs> they had the teachings of Jesus uh, by way of the apostles. <laughs> and that's what they relied on. Thankfully, friends... Uh, we have the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus um, uh, found in the word of God. And so I'm very thankful that I don't need to come up with some kind of fresh spin on something every week. I'm thankful that I don't have to kind of have some kind of really original thought week after week after week to wow and impress you because God has spoken to us in his word. And yes, he will give insight. Yes, he'll give clarity. Yes, the Spirit will breathe upon it and bring revelation. And I'm thankful for that. But the reality is, is we don't need another doctrine. We don't need another kind of twist or interpretation on Scripture when what he has spoken has been made, has been made plain and clear. And the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we ought to, as men and women of God, devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. We need to be students of this book. Does that make sense? It's simple. It's elementary. But if we're going to be a church that God can entrust us with adding to daily, we have to be a church of His Word. We have to make sure that we're not just kind of coming up with something that sounds good or that's maybe helpful to somebody, but or in the, is just maybe backed up with some kind of weird explanation from Scripture, I want to dive deep into this book. I want to know what it says, and I want it to change my life. That's why I love Deeper Project, guys. Where we're reading, the, who would have thought to have a Bible study that is just the Bible? It's revolutionary. It's in my uh, How to Grow Your Church and Break the... 500 barrier course coming out next week. Woo! Sorry. There's other books out there. They're good. You should read them together. I'm not saying that, but don't let it take the place of the Bible. If you read other, I, I'm just going to say books. I was going to say like Christian books, but if you just read other things in general more than you're reading the Bible, you're probably doing it wrong. Just saying. Okay, second thing. What did they give themselves to? Joey, this is you, buddy. Joey, this is you, buddy. He's not going to speak to me. Uh, every time Joey teaches in Deeper Project, fellowship comes out in some kind of context or something, and I, I love that, man. And so uh, <laughs> I, I love that the early church gave themselves to fellowship. This Greek word there is koinonia. How many of you guys have heard that before? 
throw that around in your casual language, people will think you're smart. Um, <laughs> it's got this idea of an association, of communion, of fellowship, of participation. It literally means to share in something. Friends, we have to share something in life. It, it moves past just the kind of uh, uh, having fellowship and saying, you know what, we went to the church potluck. This is a shared experience that the early believers experience where we go on to where they were selling everything that they had, giving it to the poor, making sure that nobody was without need. Like, that's intense. Join me next week for why we're going to establish a commune. Um, I'm just kidding. Everybody's like, is he serious? Um, we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to get there today, but there is this real idea that there is a shared need. So if, so if there is something that is wrong in your brother or sister's life, if they're walking through something and it's tragic and it's hard, it means that we come alongside as the brothers and sisters of Christ and share in that hardship with them. We help ease the load. In the same way, when there's joy and celebration, we share in it together as the body of Christ because it breaks down this common unity found in Jesus, breaks down every social construct and barrier that exists. I can have friends with people, genuinely say that I am friends with people today only because of Jesus. There are people in this room that I have zero in common with but I have everything to share with now because of my life in Jesus. I guarantee you, most of you, I'm not going to say all of you because some of you are pretty wild and reckless, uh, probably would want nothing to do with me in my BC days. I was, I was weird, okay? I didn't want anything to do with me in my BC days. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. But I love the fact that they gave themselves to intentionally sharing life together. Not just a meal on a Sunday morning after a church service or something like that. This moved past that. They gave themselves to fellowship. But this, there was this simple aspect. They spent time together. Outside of church stuff, too. They did life together, whatever that means in Christian lingo. I want to encourage you, friends, if the only time that you're seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ is on a Sunday morning here in this room or on a Tuesday night, you're doing it wrong. You guys got that? It goes on. Uh, what, what was the next thing they did? The breaking of bread together, right? They broke bread together. This is language that was used, yes, to talk about food and a meal that they actually ate together, but it also encompassed the Lord's Supper that they would take. And they would take communion together. And this is one that I'm excited to to bring back to our gatherings. We had the weird thing where COVID happened and there was like a pandemic and, uh, you know, we were like meeting uh, online and then uh, we didn't get to do communion together for quite a while. And we did it on Christmas, not Chris, the day after Christmas, I guess, because Christmas Eve we weren't here. Um, but what was a pivotal mark of our gathering um, as the body of Christ was taking communion together and remembering, uh, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. Um, and I want you to think about this. These, this is like a few weeks after Jesus died and was resurrected. You know, this wasn't, a, this, wasn't, uh, this wasn't a huge span of time. We're not talking like 20, 30 years that we see them uh, meeting together on a consistent basis to take the Lord's Supper. This was fresh after it happened. That's how pivotal it was for them to remember what Jesus did and keep it central to their gathering. 
That's why we take communion. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. We do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Does that make sense? So we're going to bring communion back every week, and I'm hoping that you guys will be okay with that because um, we, we want to. And you don't just have to take communion on a Sunday morning. You can take communion together as a family. You can take communion together in your homes. It's not a ritual that we go through. It's something that should be integral in the life of every believer. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm just trying to be simple, guys. I'm trying to be practical today. The last thing that they gave themselves to was prayer. The prayers, multiple. Yeah. You don't get a prayer one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and honestly, this is something that's intriguing to me. Because uh, if you read this like in the New Living Translation, it gave themselves to prayer. And a lot of us treat prayer as this personal thing, right? Because we, we know Jesus is teaching on prayer, you know, that we should uh, do it in private. But that does not exclude us from actually doing it in public as well. And I think it's interesting here, especially in Acts chapter 242. We remember they were together in the upper room. They were praying in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. That's what they were giving themselves to. And we see them continually give themselves to something called the prayers. Uh, the, in the Greek, there is this uh, definite article that occurs before the word prayer. And so that's why we say the prayers. Um, in, in a lot of translations, which one did I use up here? Uh, I used the New King James, but if you, I think the ESV. Did anybody have a translation out there that has the word the, giving themselves to the prayers? Nobody? Well, I should have probably proofread what version I was using. But in the Greek, there is this word that says the prayers, to the prayers. And the reason why it sounds a little weird here is because it was, um, it was used in such a way to, to establish a formality behind it. This was not talking about they gave themselves to private prayer in the confines of their own home, but they were coming together, like all these other things that they did together, with the intention to pray. And they came together to pray. Um, and I think that that's so important for us to kind of remember, especially as we go into this week of prayer that we're having, as we're getting ready to come together uh, on Wednesday night here to, to gather as the saints of God to pray, is because God began the work of the church in the place of prayer. And he sustains it through the place of prayer. And I believe corporate prayer has a place and its necessity in the life of the church. It doesn't take the place of private prayer, that you must have private devotion and relationship to Jesus, but he does respond to the he does respond to the corporate prayer as well. And I don't believe that God wants to accomplish anything with his bride outside of the place of prayer. You look, throughout, you look throughout history at moves of God. They were closely associated with his people praying. And it's important to me for us to be a church rooted and established in the place of prayer. That's what I love about our heritage here. You know, we've been doing it for years on Wednesday nights. We do it on Sunday morning. We've been doing it for years. We do it, uh, we, we take a, a week here and there, and we do it not simply just to go through the motions, not just something that's ritualistic, but I believe God responds to his people praying. So let's do it. That's, 
That's what I would like to see us committed to this year. And forever. But um, I really want to see a renewed interest in the Word of God. I really want to see intentional fellowship amongst the saints, especially in this community of believers. I'd love for us to, to have Jesus' sacrifice be a consistent point of remembrance and, and uh, just central to what we do. And I'd love all of that to work together to spur us on in the place of prayer to ask God to move and have faith for Him to actually respond. Those four things really served as a pivotal foundation for the church to accomplish everything that it did in the rest of this book. Throughout the book of Acts, which... Um, I don't believe it was just, I believe that was like part one because the church is still active and still moving and people still need to be saved. And I don't think that there's any reason why we should look back and say, well, they had a really strong start and we've just kind of been struggling in the second half. Um, I believe God has every intention to power, empower his church today in the same way that he empowered the early church back then. We're still in a wicked and perverse generation where many people need to know Jesus. Many people need to encounter this message of change that can be had of life in Christ. And I believe these simple disciplines, if they're evident, we can see what we read in verse 47 of the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I almost believe it's in the graciousness of God that people aren't being saved in the thousands because the church is not prepared in a place healthy enough to see this continue steadfastly. There have been moments, there have been bursts, there's kind of been little, little pockets here and there, but I believe that what God wants to do is ready his bride in such a way where, where these things are evident in the everyday happening life of the church. And I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot resist of convicting of sin and adding to their number daily. So if you want to know my church growth strategy for 2022, as I want to be baptized afresh by the Holy Spirit, to equip us to continue in consistency the simple things and do them well. We might not have the blowout, just kind of perfect strategy and how to get every person in Pagosa in our building, but that's never been our job. Yes, preach the gospel. Yes, preach the word. Yes, be full of the Spirit. But if we're people of the Spirit, and He's present, He will convict of sin. And I believe the Lord will build His church. Amen. Father, I'm asking for your church today, I'm asking for myself, that you'd give us renewed focus and vision, or that you would fill us afresh with your Spirit. more than we need good strategy, more than we need good ideas, more than we need uh, persuasive speaking. Lord, we need to be empowered by you.
So we ask that you would come, not just this church, every church in Pagosa Springs, God. Lord, from the home fellowships to, to, to center point, to restoration, to, to the Catholic church, God, Lord, I'm asking that you would baptize with fire. I'm asking that you would come with the stirring of your spirit. Not so we can have a revival that will be on the news. Not so we can be validated. But Lord, we want, to, we want to be faithful in the simple things. That people might be saved. We want to be good stewards of what you've given us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I have two more parts to this sermon. A prologue and an epilogue, if you will. Felt like it was fitting to launch off the new year, though in letting you in on what my plans are. <laughs> and I'm hoping that you join me. We'll be here on Tuesday nights with Deeper Project, studying the Word of God, the Apostles' Doctrine. We'll be here on Wednesday nights, gathered in prayer. We're going to kick up family dinners again. We love to eat here. I hope that you guys know that. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have fun. We're going to we're going to do our best, not just, to, not just to emulate the early church, because that was a model. It wasn't perfect. You read a couple chapters later, they had their issues too. I'm not trying to say that we all just have to go back to the early church. God can move. But what I am saying is I just want to be full of His Spirit. But there's a purpose for that too. There's work to be had. I'm really looking forward to this next year. I hope that you are too. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www opendoorpagosa.com Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.